Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest British comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and for this episode, my guest is another newcomer, uh, Carl Reader. Welcome to the book club, Carl. Hello there. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Well, you've, you've been on the waiting list for some time with this comic that we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, but first of all, Carl, as ever, we start with 2000 AD origin stories. Tell us about your first experiences with the prog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose the earliest um, exposure I had to 2000 AD was um, actually receiving uh, the Judge Dread Annual in 1989, um, which I think my, my nan got for me. So oh, right. um, I've, I've still got that. Um, it's, it's, it's with my collection of 2000 ADs. So, uh, yeah, it, it holds um, some uh, sentimental value there as, as well as obviously the, 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 the nature of, of the, uh, the annual as well. The first prog that I ever actually got was issue 700, which came with the um, postcards um, on the front. And there was also, I remember the, the data files on the back as well. So I think it was one of the, the jumping on progs. So it was, it was a good chance to uh, start reading that from, from there. And obviously a couple of freebies always go down really well also. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've got, got a few of those from, from prog um, 700 probably about sort of half a dozen seven or eight and that was about it so um sort of read it there and and then kind of just lost a lost a bit of um interest with it so uh apart from um being lent some progs by a friend at the time uh which contained necropolis and uh dead man didn't really touch too much on on 2000 ad um, read lots of other comics uh, at the time, things like uh, obviously your Marvels and your DCs, um, stuff like Star Blazer, Mask, Star Wars, all, all those sorts of things that were out at the time. But 2008 never really sort of grabbed me at, at a younger age. The, the time or the prog that really got me um, really reading 2018 and appreciating what 2018 is was actually the uh, Christmas issue of 2014. So it's prog 2015 cover on that which is the the judge death badge oh right yeah that was dark justice that's right yeah yeah so that's what really initially sort of sparked some interest um about the same time uh, i found out that they were going to be producing the uh, judge red mega collection so um again that that kind of just in, in, enticed me back into into 2008 um so i was started reading the, the prog the magazine and, and the judge dread uh, mega collection all, 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 all at the same time. So uh, just a huge sort of thrill power uh, exposure in, in one go. Obviously then started looking into 2000 AD and, and um, the sort of legacy behind it, uh, you know, the 40 years worth of, of Judge Dredd continuity just blew my mind because um, we're so used to these, these um, uh, reboots from uh, a lot of comics where they, they sort of start over, but to have, 40 years of, of, of a character or a set of characters that just continued was 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 really intriguing to me. So that's, that really, really sort of drew me in there. And obviously looking into it, you go down a rabbit hole of, of, of different uh, writers and artists. And, and um, it actually led me on to um, revisiting the, the, the title that we're, we're going to be talking about today, which is which is Toxic. So and didn't realise the connections with 2080 at, at the time. Well, we'll get to that one just in a moment. The, you mentioned the Mega Collection. Did you sort of carry on getting all of those? Um, I, got, I got several of those, probably uh, I think about sort of 30 odd uh, copies of, of that. So I didn't, didn't complete the collection, unfortunately. Um, sort of space and, and, and money kind of uh, 
had a, had a factor in, in those. But um, read obviously a, a, a lot of the very early ones. I've, I've still got a few there that I still need to uh, to, to revisit. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great format for. Um, I think for for, for 2018 and obviously the, the legacy of of Judge Dredd. So uh, um, yeah, some 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 really nice volumes there. The fact that they were all um, themed as opposed to just the chrono- chronology um, of um, the Dredd story, so you could immediately see. So for example, America, where you've got that initial story, and then there's a couple of follow up stories, and you can just see the impact of of that initial story and the repercussions immediately afterwards. So uh, yeah, great collection. And did you get any of the Ultimate Collection that's come out since of the uh, sort of other general 2000 AD stories? Yeah, again, uh, the first first few of those. Um, so uh, some some of the uh, the classics like Slaying the Horn God and just trying to think who else was in there. Halo Jones. Halo Jones, that's what I was thinking of. I could, I could see her face but couldn't quite get, get the name there. Um, so yeah, yeah, some some fantastic bits in, in that as well. Um, but unfortunately couldn't couldn't carry that on through. Okay. I mean, they are hefty volumes, as you say, expensive, and they take up a lot of space. But uh, yeah, lovely things. Okay, Carl, take us on to the comic. You've mentioned it already. Tell us about the comic you've chosen for today's book club and a little bit about why you chose it. Yeah, the uh, the, the comic um, I'm here to sort of uh, talk to you about is um, Toxic. So the reason I chose this was it was it was a it was a title that just jumped off the uh, off the shelf at me. I, I remember um, seeing it in, in the news agents. And um, it was just so different to anything and everything else I'd, I'd sort of been reading at, at the time. So um, the, 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 the colours uh, that were used in the artwork, which I'll sort of come on to um, a little bit later as well. But the, uh, the, the, the cover initially, just fantastic with um, uh, martial law there with the two big guns. Uh, with a, a superhero T-Rex with a great big hole through his chest. Um, what's not to like about that sort of thing when you're, when you're sort of 14, 15 years old? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great cover. We'll come back to that one a bit later on, probably. Um, did you read it at the time it was coming out then in 1991? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was getting it um, weekly as, as it came out. Um, and um, the, the, the reason it initially appealed to me was... It wasn't 2000 AD, which um, I've obviously found out the connection since with, with 2000 AD. Um, it was an issue one, so starting from, from the beginning, it was, it was the colour and the artwork that really grabbed me there. Um, and it was, it, was, it was kind of everything that you probably shouldn't have been reading as, as, a, as a comic. I mean, there's the, there's the violence in there, the crude humour, it's vulgar. Um, the swearing, there's all sorts of stuff in there that, um, again, as a 14, 15 year old is, is, is absolutely great. And you realise, yeah, you probably shouldn't have been, been reading it. It was probably my 2000 AD. So the experience I would imagine a lot of people had when they first found 2000 AD, this, this, this was mine. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's got that appeal of being the sort of like the jumping on at the start, being at the start of something's great. Let's do the facts and figures. So Toxic, for anybody who doesn't know, was a 31-issue weekly comic from March to October 1991. So fairly, in sort of time, you know, fairly short-lived, unfortunately. And, of course, the reason we're talking about it, you've mentioned already, is behind the scenes you had uh, Pat Mills, Kevin O'Neill, Alan Grant, uh, Mick McMahon, John Wagner, all these people involved in the creation of the comic – uh, the pub- publishing company, it's a little bit complicated. They called it Apocalypse Limited, 
Um, but the sort of the origin of that is slightly complicated, I think. So tell us a little bit about it, about, you know, um, how it came to be and what stories uh, it started out with. Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, I've been doing a little bit of research on on the title um, and, and the details I've managed to, to find. A gentleman called Jeff Fry was, was trying to put together a publishing company, which was uh, Neptune Distribution. And this was to challenge um, Titan Publishing at the time. And he, um, I believe, contacted a gentleman called John McShane, who at the time was working in AKA uh, Comics. And the initial plan, I think, was to try and put together a, like a Metal Hurlant type uh, title. So it would, be a, it would be a monthly title, which would um, yeah, be, along, be along those lines. But as they, I think, sort of looked at, at, at figures and projections and stuff, it was decided that a, um, a weekly title would actually give them a better return than, than, than a monthly one. And the, the, the main aim behind it was to um, provide creators with uh, not only an outlet for their work, but to actually retain the rights and the control of, of, of their work as well, uh, which is obviously in contrast to um, a lot of other um, publications and, and, and comic creators, including 2080 at the time. So um, I think it was it was just on the, the back of, of how the industry worked and obviously the likes of Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill and John Wagner um, all wanting to have a little bit more, little bit more control over their, their work and to obviously retain the rights to that work as well. Yes, I mean, this is an interesting time for British comics when creator uh, rights were sort of like becoming more and more of an issue and more and more important. Um, and, I, you know, back when I talked to David Bishop about the history um, of 2000 AD, you know, Thrill Power Overload, I mean, we did talk about this, you know, becoming more of an issue. And I guess it's almost like um, when the image creators on the other side of the pond broke away from the big companies and started doing their own comics, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it's it's, it's those people that were all part of um, the comic book uh, industry, 2000 AD, and, um, yeah, just, just having the opportunity to do their thing their way with, with no other um, restrictions or, or restraints. And as you say, they you know they thought they were going to make uh, money out of it. They thought they were going to retain the rights. Uh, their models, as you say, worked out that it was going to be better for them to do it weekly as a sort of direct competitor with 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. And you know, on the front cover, it says "Toxic." The comic throws up, uh, which is a nice sort of play on all those um, headlines that we were seeing in the Guardian at the time about comics growing up. And I think Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill, particularly with their slightly anarchic uh, take on things, were really sort of, they just wanted something in your face, I think, with Toxic, was what they were aiming for. And, of course, you say that certainly had appeal for the readers at the time when you see all the sort of uh, uh, the violence, the themes, the sort of great stuff inside, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, as, as you look through, it's just the, the, the artwork. It just, just pops on every single page. I suppose it's it was to 2000 AD what 2000 AD was to the rest of comics at, at the time. 2000 AD, I think, were, 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 was doing a sort of combination of, of both black and white and and colour um, strips, but this was this was full colour all all the way through. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that uh, the influences Toxic did have was, I believe, it led. Richard Burton, the editor at the time of 2000 AD, to decide to go all colour um, to try and keep up with what Toxic was doing. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've sort of 
uh, as, as I've sort of looked into stuff, yeah, I've sort of um, heard that as well. So uh, part of the legacy of, of Toxic is is the influence it, it then had on on 2000 AD and um, the amount of, of colour strips that were, were appearing in it. So it's an anthology comic because it's a British comic. Uh, so it has multiple stories in it. Some of them are quite well known. Some of them started in other places first before coming to Toxic. Tell us about some of the big hits from the early issues. Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose start off with Martial Law. He was kind of seen initially as the um, the dread type uh, character. So he, he would sort of be the, uh, the the flagship strip within within Toxic uh, to sort of carry that that as Dread did with with 2000 AD. I mean, Martial Law started off or initially created by um, Pat Mills and, and Kevin O'Neill. Um, actually, started in, in Epic Comics. Um, there was a six-issue um, run in 1987, so uh, uh, that's where that's where Martial Law started. And um, just before the release of, of Toxic, there was a there was a one-shot uh, at the end of 1990 called Martial Law Takes Manhattan, and that was um, published in association with I, th- I think it was Apocalypse, which which owned trident that, that that did toxic so that came out um just before and then we have in toxic uh, a strip um a parter which is called the the hateful dead so uh, that um revolves around obviously martial law who is uh he's basically a government sanctioned superhero hunter or um what's also termed it a cape killer so he was um a former super soldier who um, has basically decided to hunt down other um, superheroes. So set in um, uh, a place called San Ferruto, um, which is basically San Francisco after a huge earthquake hits. So, um, yeah, he's out, he's out there trying to, to sort of um, hunt down all the, uh, all the rogue superheroes that are out there. And um, you can see... A lot of satire um, on um, the superhero genre, which I know Pat Mills wasn't a big fan of, of, of superhero comics and, and characters. And uh, there's, there's there's lots of references in there to uh, to kind of um, Pat Mills having having his his say and his take on on the, the whole superhero um, type character and, and, and comic book. Yes, I mean, yeah, um, you know, infamously, Pat Mills doesn't think very much of superheroes, and Martial Law is his most, direct, I guess, direct commentary on that, uh, with his famous catchphrase, you know, from Martial Law, I hunt heroes, I haven't found any yet. <laughs> um, and as you say, it's riotous, full colour from uh, Kevin O'Neill, beautiful stuff, and it, uh, yeah, probably one of the big appeals of Toxic to begin with. Certainly it's on the front cover of the first issue. Um, and I do actually, I mean, I will be planning uh, to do a whole episode on martial law at some point. Chris McCauley is going to come back on the podcast and talk about the collected martial law. Oh, great stuff. But yeah, fantastic. Okay, so what else do we have? Yeah, the uh, the other main character that really sort of stood out in, in the first issue is a character called um, Accident Man. This is, again, by Pat Mills, but with, uh, sorry, Pat Mills and Tony Skinner, uh, with art by uh, Martin um, Emmond. And um, this is about a hitman who makes his hits look like um, accidents. So um, it gives the opportunity for, for lots of sort of humorous ways where you can see the character called Mike Fallon try and um, um, kill various people. Um, through through means that looks that makes them look like um, either accidents or, or, or suicides. 
and there were there were actually three strips um, throughout Toxic with with Accident Man, each with with um, a different artist. Uh, but the first one ran from issue one to six, and um, acts as um, as an introduction to to the character. It also goes into his his backstory about how he um, became a hitman. Gives you details of, of some of the other um, main characters in there. There's, there's, there's one called Big Mac who owns the Oasis Pub, so it's a place where all these hitmen uh, can come to meet. Um, and there's various other hitmen characters um, in there as well. And the plot here revolves around um, Mike's ex being killed. Uh, she's an, she's an environmental activist, um, and then he he kind of takes uh, takes it upon himself to find out who killed her and and, and why. And um, that kind of leads him to uh, um, some of the other other hitmen within within the story as well. Some some again great artwork in this. A lot more muted in terms of, of colours compared to uh, Martial Law, um, which is then contrasted through um, some of the um, the fight scenes and the combat where you just get these these splashes of of, of blood where where um, the uh, the fights actually take place. Yeah, so that's another another one of the sort of like breakout strips, um, Accident Man, and of course that has been collected, I think, over the years, and 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 even uh, we don't often say this on the podcast, but a couple of years ago there was a film version of Accident Man, yeah, uh, with Scott Atkins, I think. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, um, it's, it's quite true to the um, to that original um, story in Toxic. Changes a few of the names around. Um, it, it kind of it, it expands on. Um, some of the characters um, and some of the scenes within within the comic book, um, but it is a really really good adaptation of of the actual uh, comic. And there's some um, fantastic bits in, in in the movie where you can you can see they've almost taken some of the panel shots um, from from the comic to to be a real influence on the um, on the, uh, the, the 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 camera work with, within the film. So uh, yeah, I can definitely definitely recommend the uh, the movie. Um, yeah, really really good. Yeah, and I'm just I'm looking at the cover of Toxic Issue Six, which had an Accident Man cover, but actually done by Colin McNeil uh, of the sort of samurai fight going on on the front cover. So um, yeah, as we say, lots of 2000 AD names involved along the way with Toxic. Okay, so that's Martial Law and Accident Man. Yeah, tell us a few more choice choices from Toxic. Yeah, a couple of other. Um... I suppose sort of um, standout strips for the the, the people behind those. Um, there's one called Muto uh, Maniac again, story by uh, Pat Mills, but art uh, by Mike McMahon, and oh, the the artwork on that is absolutely fantastic. Um, really on 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 form for um, for for Mike's artwork in in there. That ran um, only for, for for seven parts. Had a couple of covers, issue two um, and issue eight, um, which bizarrely didn't actually contain any any story in there. Yes. <laughs> um, so so it's a little, little bit confusing. Thing, I, yeah, I remember, I remember at the time sort of getting that issue and you, and you see uh, Mutomaniac on the cover and you're flicking through and it's like, well, where is it? And it just wasn't there. It, it basically disappeared after after issue seven, um, which was unfortunately sort of some of the problems with the, uh, with the title where um, titles would just stop running uh, altogether, or there'd be sort of huge breaks or gaps in between issues. So um, the, uh, the kind of the consistency there of, of the, the stories being in um, consecutive issues was, was, was a little bit of a, a 
problem with with I believe the, the title and and the I think the timescales they'd set themselves to uh, to do all of that. So uh, yeah, some great artwork, story that that was never um, actually finished. Um, so um, yeah, a real shame, real shame on that because there's some there's some beautiful artwork there by uh, by Mike McMahon. Another um, standout strip for for me was um, Macabre. This was written by um, Alan Grant. Uh, with art by Enrique, um, I hope I pronounced this correctly, um, Alcatina, uh, yeah, who's, an, it, yeah. who's an Argentinian um, artist. And um, again, some some really great artwork in there, some really detailed stuff. And this basically involves a, um, it's a female police officer um, who's called Dancer. And um, she seems to have this psychic connection to this um, vigilante called Macabre. And as you read through, there's there's loads of little um, Judge Anderson feelings to, uh, to to the strip and the, and the character as well. So it was almost, I, I think, sort of Alan Grant doing his version of of, of Judge um, Anderson, where there's this sort of psychic connection um, to something sort of slightly paranormal. And that ran from issues um, seven to eleven. Um, and then a, a gap uh, and then uh, concluded book one between issues 16 and 18. Uh, and again, it's one of those those stories that will probably never get a, a conclusion to. But, uh, yeah, mysterious. Um, yeah, there are some, as you say, you know, like Mutomaniac stories that just seem to stop and not get a conclusion. Mm. Alcatina's artwork is interesting. I mean, you know, he, as you say, he's Argentinian, but it does look like some of that European artwork that they were often going for at this time, trying to, as you say, go for that heavy metal, metal hurlon look. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I should say I've got I've got issues one to ten in front of me. Have you got? You presumably you've got a complete run, have you? Yes. Yeah. My my initial run, I um, I gave away um, many oh, years no. ago. I know <laughs> it was. I think it was an attempt to to um, prove to my wife that I I, I could grow up. Um, yes. so I, I, <laughs> I, um, we can put aside these childish things. Yes. yes yeah. So I, I gave them away to, uh, to a friend together with, um, I think a, a few sort of 2000 ADs that I initially had and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, as I then got back into 2000 AD, so I realized what I'd done and, 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 uh, give myself a good, good kick. Um, but I managed to track them down on, um, eBay. So yeah, managed to get a complete run, all 31 issues. So uh, um, really, really pleased to, to sort of get those get those back. Um, I think at the time I'd, I'd got up to issue 30, so I was always missing that that, that final issue anyway. So uh, um, through uh, through eBay, yeah, managed to get um, all all the issues, um, which is uh, which is great. So uh, okay, so obviously we know it doesn't go beyond issue 31. Um, which you eventually tracked down yourself. Um, we know that there were some, let's say, controversies behind the scenes. Things weren't going... It wasn't smooth sailing for Toxic, unfortunately. Um, I mean, there were deadlines. I think Mike McMahon, as you say, was having trouble keeping up with the artistic deadlines for Mutomaniac. Um, there were some creative conflicts because there was a strip called Bo- The Bogeyman... Yes, uh, Scotland's most famous lunatic, which was um, a John Wagner, Alan Grant strip that again had started somewhere else with Robin Smith on art, and then suddenly turns up here with Cam Kennedy art, which of course is lovely because it's Cam Kennedy. Mm. But we know that Robin Smith was not best pleased about this when he found out. Ah, right. Um, 
I guess I wasn't caused. Yeah, it did cause a bit of fuss. I think you know that you know it seemed a bit unfair on both artists. I think is what it says in yeah. um, Thrill Power Overload. Um, and the other strip that I wanted to mention, of course, is a strip that's not in Toxic because John Wagner offered Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill um, a strip that he was doing or was working on with Arthur Ransom, which, of course, was Button Man. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, I believe Pat Mills felt it wasn't suitable for Toxic and, there, you know, Toxic's loss was 2080's gain because it turned up, obviously, in the prog and we've done it on the uh, the podcast mm-hmm. and that's uh, fantastic stuff. So, I mean, just, you know, interesting stories of um, behind-the-scenes stuff, I guess, from all these fantastic creators involved. But, unfortunately, as I say, it didn't quite go the way they intended, I guess. No, um, I, like, like you've um, already said, I think there was some issues with um, deadlines, um, keeping up with, uh, with with those, which meant that strips would either disappear altogether or um, would um, take a few more issues to, to then reappear. Um, so obviously that, that, that consistency was what wasn't there. So um, whether that was, was possibly one of the, uh, the, the initial contributing factors to um, – maybe a drop in, in readership, drop in sales, because, yeah, people are picking up issues and, and the story that they thought was, was going to be in there just just wasn't. So, uh, yeah, that may have, may have been sort of a, one, of, one of the factors uh, there on that. And um, ironically, for, for a, a, a title that was initially set up to make sure that creators were were paid and, and had control over the, um, the titles that they were, they were contributing, um, yeah, there were there were people that weren't getting paid. No, Mike, there's a there's reference to Mike McMahon not getting paid for a lot of his work in there. So uh, yeah, it's just just sort of really ironic that the, the the reason the title was set up was then kind of almost the cause that it it, it folded. Yeah, it's interesting stuff, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, again, I'm I'm quoting Thrill Power Overload. Alan Grant says that. The first issue sold 30,000 issues or 30,000 copies, which I think nowadays would be thought of as quite good, but at the time wasn't good enough. And it and it and the sales dropped off. And as you say, they began to have all sorts of problems with paying the creators, with uh, getting artwork in on time. Um, I suppose the pressure of producing a weekly full-colour comic began to tell. Does the quality drop off as it goes along towards sort of, you know, the, into the 20s and so on, do you think? No, I wouldn't say the quality drops off. I mean, you've, you've still got um, Pat Mills um, as, as probably the main writer on, on the majority of the strips uh, there. If, if anything, later on, there seems to be a little bit more consistency with with, with the runs of, of, of the titles. So although in the early, uh, initially early, and, and then I think sort of later on, there was these, these sort of problems with, with the deadlines, that kind of little middle run, just um, as, as you sort of look at the, the, the strips that were in there, and you can see that they're, they're, they're in, in a run of consecutive issues. So uh, know that the quality, I don't think, drops off at all. I think one of the other, I suppose, potential problems with the title is, is with martial law, um, initially put across as, as the, 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 the flagship character to, to carry it. It's only in those first, um, I think, eight issues and then, and then appears for, for another two-parter um, sort of later on. Whereas I think a lot of people will will um, always read Dread in 2000 AD and then they'll read some of the other strips as well. Um, Toxic probably suffered for not having that 
that strip or that character uh, that, that just drew people in every single week. Yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, is it as you say, when martial law disappears for a while and other stories have to take over, um, it's a bit strange. Um, I just, I mean, again, I, the one thing I noticed while I was reading it, and while I'm actually saying that, I'm just flicking to the Simon Bisley story that's in the first issue as well, which uh, I don't think we've mentioned yet, have we? No, no. Um, that is one of my favourite strips. So, um, yeah, the um, Short and Sharp, um, fantastic artwork again on there. And um, the... Uh, the little twist at the end has, has stayed with me. And whenever I've talked about toxic to anybody, it's always been this story that, that has always stood out in, in, in my mind because um, it's just one of those things that you don't see coming at, at, at the end. And it's just a, a, a very funny ending to, to that story. It is, yes. It's a funny sort of a Western violent uh, with mega gun story. I'm just looking at the top of page two. It does say Grant and Bisley. So I... Obviously, Alan Grant and Simon Bisley. But I did notice as I was going through my 10 issues that there were some strips where I was surprised to see there weren't creator credits on it. Yeah, yeah, that really stood out for me as well. Um, as, as I've been rereading through a lot of the strips and, and um, just trying to get some um, information together, and, and you then having to hunt for the names of the writers and the artists and, and, and the letterers. And um, they all seem to be contained in inside the, the sort of front cover. There's like a little, um, I think they call it the black box blight recorder yes. um, in, in a few issues. So, um, and you've got to kind of got to go through all of that to find out who did, who did what, although obviously a lot of the artwork is, is, is very self-evident from, from the styles in there. But yeah, for, for a title that again was supposed to be promoting the fact that these were creator owned and on, on the back of 2000 AD with Kevin O'Neill inventing the, 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 the little credit card. Yeah. It's, it's a real missing, I think from, from toxic. It is strange, isn't it? Yes. Partic- as you say, you know, with Kevin O'Neill involved, and uh, we owe him for the creative boxes, the credit cards in uh, 2000 AD. But yeah, just something something odd that stuck out to me from time to time. I mean, as you say, some of the strips you look at and you think, oh yes, um, with you know we've become used to certain people's art, so we know, say, oh that's obviously McMahon. The the as I say, the cowboy strip in the end of issue one couldn't be anybody other than Simon Bisley. But yeah, sometimes I did I did struggle to try and work out who was the writer and artist on some of the, the, the uh, mm-hmm. stories. Okay, but interesting stuff. I guess, you know, the, the big question in a way about Toxic, and we've hinted at some of the problems behind the scenes already, but the big question is why did Toxic fail? What, did, what was it trying to do? Why did it fail? And this sort of ongoing question of why 2000 AD continues to be the last man standing and is still going when all the others have fallen by the wayside. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a combination of, of um, factors that, that probably influenced the, the downfall of, of toxic. So initially you've got the, the behind the scenes issues with um, deadlines not being met. Um, so there wasn't the consistency within, within the, the, within the comic and then, as, as as a reader, if you've if you're buying that issue, I mean, Mutomaniac, case in point, you pick it up, you've got a, a strip on the cover, and, and it's not in there at all. So, does that then deter a few people to to continue with it? In terms of the legacy of 2000 AD, I, th- I think it's it's just that it's been around for so long, or it had been e- even then, that it, it's it's just a 
a consistency really on on the newsstands with 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 sort of comics and dread 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 has always been in there um i think it's it's the the one strip that you know you'll always get in 2000 ad every single prog and it's the one i think everybody initially reads and then they'll go on to go on to the others and toxic just just didn't have that yeah it's interesting isn't it It just perhaps didn't have that consistency plus as you know the sales weren't uh, doing it and there were problems behind the scenes I know, again, quoting from Thrill Power Overload, Kevin O'Neill's father was very ill at this point, and I think he had to step back uh, from his involvement with Toxic because of that. Um, and it just fell by the wayside. And so, you know, we've talked about, uh, I think we've mentioned Crisis on this uh, podcast. We've done an episode about Dice Man. Um, we may have an episode coming up about the new Eagle from the sort of 80s revival of the Eagle comic. But all of these have come and gone, and only 2000 AD and the Judge Dread magazine carry on to this day, um, still at it, still pumping out the stories, and um, hopefully still getting enough of us to to justify mm. doing that. I presume must do, although they're getting us all to double and triple dip with the mega collection and ultimate collections, obviously. So... Carl, if you looked back over the whole 31-issue run of Toxic, and I asked you to sort of pick your one or two favourite stories from the whole run, uh, what would you go for? Yeah, um, this is this is really hard. Um, it's almost like picking your favourite child. But there's, um, th- there's a few that I kind of sort of narrowed it down to. Um, Primarily, some of the the, the the earlier the earlier strips. Um, in, in terms of artwork, it's it's got to be martial law. Kevin Kevin O'Neill, um, his stuff in there just just really um, grabbed me at, at the time. So, if we're talking about art, it's definitely um, uh, martial law. Kevin O'Neill. Uh, in terms of favourite characters, Accident Man. Um, there was just something about uh, that character and the potential of of of, of that character. I think it'd be make a great sort of Netflix series where he could kind of sort of go off and do all these these hits with like an overarching story as well. So, uh, um, Accent Man's in there as well. Um, in terms of actual scripts, Bogeyman is so funny. The uh, the, the stuff in there, the the, the play on words, the, the 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 little references within within the artwork as well. Um, definitely by Cam Kennedy and and. Um, yeah, great, great stuff um, on there. But overall, if, if I had to pick one one strip that was my favourite, it's it's got to be the Once a Time in the West, which is the uh, the little sort. Of, I think it's about six pages long. The artwork in there, the 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 Western theme, which which again, you know, you don't never really get in comics nowadays or even back then. But it's that it's that that's that that kind of final page, um, that that realization of 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 the, uh, the the story i won't say it because um people need to go and go and check this out and experience it for the, for themselves but um uh, if it's one story it's it's definitely once upon a time in the west fantastic that's the alan grant and simon bisley one isn't that's it? right yeah the uh-huh. first issue right okay splendid i mean i particularly liked uh i like the introduction of accident man and sort of reading the his early adventures like yourself, I do love Cam Kennedy's artwork on Bogeyman, uh, which is fantastic. Although, you know, we do know that it's probably the wrong artist, unfortunately. But, yeah, um, that's great stuff as well. So, yeah, fantastic. OK, let's play Grail Pages. Let's give you all 31 issues and covers. If you were to pick a single page or a single cover to hang on your wall, if you could own the original art for it, then uh, what would it be? 
yeah, again, this was a real tough choice. And as I was reading through, um, you kind of think, oh, is, is that my grail page? And then you find something nice. You think, oh, maybe that should be my grail page. If it's possible, I'd like to pick one cover and then and then one page within within the strip. In terms of the cover, it's got to be issue one. So it's right. it's um, Marshall Law stood there with, with with two guns, the T Rex superhero with with a great big hole in its chest. That's that's what grabbed me. That's that's the first thing I ever saw for Toxic. Um, that's the reason I picked it up off the shelf and um, and read it. So uh, it's got to be it's got to be that as as, as a cover. So that would be the first choice. The second one, a, a grail page from an actual strip. Again, I've I've gone through many of the stories, many of the many of the pages, and uh, it's it's been really tough uh, to pick one out because there's so many different um, artists and, and stories in there. I've come back to Once Upon a Time in the West. It's that first page where you kind of get the uh, the, the scene set, um, the old West Town. Um, close up of the uh, gunslinger's eyes, him riding the horse. There's a there's a, um, a population sign of 717, which he then um, shoots through to to take it to zero. Um, so it's almost it's almost like a, a, a like a little story within itself, just just on that page. So, yep, that would be McGraw page from from a strip. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a fan- it is a wonderful page. And I mean, if anybody does own the original artwork from those Simon Bisley pages, congratulations, because they are just uh, glorious. Um, and yeah, it's a great introduction for a character in a very sort of Western movie style, isn't mm, it? Yeah. Um, you know, the close up on the eyes, the, the long shot, the, him on the horse. Um, it's all fantastically done. It's a little bit like, uh, I guess, when we did... Uh, Carlos's introduction of El Mestizo when I did that book a while ago but this is wonderful so yeah we'll grant you a Simon Bisley page from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West Fantastic. page one and of course the ish, the cover to issue one as well right. uh, the Kevin O'Neill uh, Marshall Law cover and they become virtually yours and I will post them on all the socials after this episode comes out so people can see what we've been talking about Brilliant, fantastic I thought I had a feeling you might pick uh, the cover for issue one. So I'm actually going to turn us to issue 10. Uh, I mentioned Arthur Ranson earlier on that he, you know, they didn't get to do Button Man for this, but he did do a story in issue 10 called The Vampire's New Year, which I presume was a one-off story, was it? Cause I... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I say this is the only time um, Arthur Ranson did... I believe anything actually in um, in Toxic, um, yeah. These characters um, don't turn up anymore um, throughout the run, so it is just just that one off. So I'm going to pick a page from that, which is a one page splash of the sort of family. Yeah, it's a sort of Adams family type thing of of vampires. Uh, where it says, hello, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. They announce themselves. And I'm going to, it's just, it's an Arthur Ransom page. I don't own any Arthur Ransom artwork, and that would be fantastic. It's glorious. So I shall post a picture of that as well. It's just a marvellous piece of artwork, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, his, his detail in there. Uh, another really clever strip with with a bit of a sort of a twist ending and, a, and, and a, I suppose, a, a political comment with, within as well. So, um, yeah, great stuff. Okay, so that's Toxic, a comic that blazed brightly, that threw up, 
but didn't quite make it, unfortunately, beyond the 31 issues. And I know it is well remembered by lots of people from that time. Um, collections of it, I'm, you know, there have been, I suppose, uh, some of the strips are collected elsewhere, aren't they? Yes. Um, I mean, at, at the time, um, Apocalypse did some um, collected editions of some of the uh, the initial strips of um, Martial Law, Accident Man, Bogeyman, uh, Macabre, and um, Sex Warriors, which was another strip in there as well. So it was just, again, in, in the, the sort of magazine format, I think it was probably their way of, of just getting those stories out there again for, for somebody to, to, to buy, which, which I did. So I sort of double dipped on, on, on those. Um, so, uh, yeah, those, those were the initial um, sort of re-releases of, of, of a lot of the, uh, the stories. Um, but Martial Law, there's a collected edition there. There's a complete accident man. Bogeyman, there's um, there's some trades of, of that, um, and interestingly, the um, the first story in in Toxic is actually um, redrawn by the original artist. I think it's, it's a four parter instead. So uh, we do oh, we right. do actually get a um, I think the the complete story is, as that was meant to be, uh, but it was renamed uh, Chinatoon. Uh, instead, so uh, I believe that's available in, in in the trade. So yeah, there's definitely things out there. Okay. I mean, I'm just looking on the back cover. You do occasionally see on the back covers of these issues them Apocalypse uh, Limited advertising some of their mm-hmm. collections uh, that were out there. So I guess, you know, um, you can still find some of that stuff on eBay. Like yourself, you found the full 31 issues on eBay. I picked up the first 10. There are some collected editions out there. If from the strips that never got finished, the stories that never unfortunately got to have their conclusions and are still lingering out there in comics limbo would there be one particular that you would like to see taken up again and finished um, you mentioned uh mutomaniac and macabre earlier on yeah definitely those two i mean firstly for the artwork of, of mutomaniac um macabre um it, it kind of finished on on book one but it, it it was it was on a little bit of a cliffhanger so there was definitely more to tell with within that story so uh yeah, I think if there was any, I'd, I'd like to see more more of that particular one. Okay. So, anything else you wanted to mention about Toxic before we finish with that, Carl? Yeah, just just something else I sort of I picked up through um, reading uh, a lot of the strips. There's actually quite a strong environmental um, commentary in in a lot of them. Whether it's just the nature of the early '90s and sort of more awareness of, of environmental issues, um, but it just seems in real sort of contrast to. Um, the toxic title and, and all the usage of, of, of kind of like radioactive waste and, uh, and, and the actual sort of um, the style and the theme within, within the comic, you've got the editor there, Doc Tox, but within the actual stories, there, there's all these little, little references to um, environmental concerns, which, which I thought was interesting that, that they were all over different, different strips by, by different writers as well. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, particularly as Pat Mills has sort of gone on record saying that actually, all the political stuff was going crisis comic and with toxic he was just trying to throw you know literally toxic waste at a comic and uh, have a lot of fun but it mm. does actually the environmental stuff still creeps in and it's quite interesting um particularly when it shows up in some of the strips and the concerns of the time uh, very relevant now of course as well yeah absolutely absolutely okay fascinating i mean you know the history of british comics is here's one of the runners for a while short-lived the 80s and 90s was a tough time for comics. Um, 
but it is fascinating to talk about some of these other ish these other titles that came out that almost made it but didn't quite get the longevity of 2000 AD. Yeah, it's it's such a shame that this this sort of didn't carry on. Um, and like I say, many casualties at, at, at the time. Um, I remember sort of picking up various comics and and they'll sort of run for a few issues and then and then yeah, just disappear off the uh, off the newsstands and never to be seen again. Yeah, tragic really, but there you go. Okay, so for Toxic, you're probably going to have to go to eBay, although as you've said, Carl, there are some some of the stories are collected, particularly Martial Law and Accident Man. Uh, I think those ones are fairly easy to get mm-hmm. hold of now. The rest of them, it's all to, to the eBays, I'm afraid. Definitely, yep. Splendid. So that's Toxic. Carl, it's guest projects time. Did you have anything you wanted to mention or plug here yourself? Um, no, I must confess, I'm, I'm sort of not sort of really involved with with sort of anything sort of creative wise with with sort of comics. Pitched a script to Sarjaz, the um, 2000 AD fanzine, so sort of waiting to hear back from that. Um, the plan is to get a couple of scripts off to um, the 2000 AD submissions. So um, no, other than that, nothing sort of actually in, in the pipeline. But I'd love to you know find something one day maybe um in in comic book form and and obviously the uh the idea would be to appear in the pages of of 2000 ad uh wouldn't we all yes we'd all like that <laughs> yes <laughs> well i wish you well with uh your script submissions um uh, particularly you know see how you get on with um bolt one at uh Zarjaz and future quake press yep. And who knows, you know, we could see you at Thought Bubble in one of the pitch contests at some point. Yeah, if I can get up there, then, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to give that a shot. So um. Fantastic, Carl. Well, I'm, you know, grateful for you uh, being on the waiting list for so long, patiently, and then coming on the, the podcast to talk about Toxic um, and to fill me in on some of the background of another fascinating uh, British comic. I look forward to you choosing another book at some point in the future and coming back. Hopefully, not quite so long on the waiting list this time. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be great to, uh, to to sort of come back and and, and have another chat. Um, probably something with a with a you know a, a smaller story than than the thirty one run of of, of Toxic. Um, got a couple of things in mind, so I'll I'll um, pitch those to you later on. But uh, no, it'd be great to come back. Um, yeah, thank you very much for for having me. No, it's great. I mean, I, I, you know, we are sort of managing to pick up all these other British comics along the way um, and broadening out our remit from just 2000 AD, which is great stuff. So thank you to everybody for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find out all the details at megacitybookclub.com. Email me with suggestions for books and comics to come on the podcast in the future at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will just about do us. So until next time, when we're passing judgment on more great comics, time for goodbyes. So goodbye from me and... Goodbye from me. 